I could really go for a cup of coffee. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 40-ish, or as we call it this time, Oberon Day. Yeah, it is Oberon Day. I did see that, yeah. Yep. And I feel like it might just be me, you know, we've li- I've lived in Kalamazoo for now much shorter time than John, but a while. And Enough. I feel like people are like back on Oberon Day at a higher clip this year. I think it's usually like that same thing. Uh, Americans just like a day to get drunk. An intentional day, right? An intentional yeah, day. I mean, right. St. Patrick's Day came up, Oberon Day, Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, that's a good day. I'm waiting drunk. until they turn Easter into a drinking holiday. I, I like the holiday of Thursday. It's Thursday. John, you want to go it's out Thursday. for one well? Let's go to one yeah, well. That's a good idea. So, uh, well, as always, I'm joined by Mr. John Moody. Hello. And we are welcoming in uh, Andy Tucker. Greeting, listener. And uh, Lance is not with us tonight. <laughs> he oh, said here. listener. <laughs> it was A-Bear. singular. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Bear. We have dozens of people. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, tonight's guest is the result of a lot of back and forth communication and frankly, a field trip for John and mm-hmm. myself. Uh, we're being joined by uh, Seth Chapman. So Seth is the roast master for Water Street Coffees here in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He is responsible for sourcing and roasting coffee for Water Street, as well as quality control, roast profile development, which I totally want to talk about, and many other coffee and tea-driven projects. He's actually a certified Q grader. That's Q, the letter Q, and we definitely are going to talk about that. <laughs> and uh, frankly, he just returned a, a few weeks back from an origin trip to Costa Rica. So mm-hmm. Seth, Welcome to 40-ish. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, uh, for taking the time. We appreciate it. So uh, before we become edumacated on coffee and all things, I could probably use a cup of coffee right now. It's been a <laughs> day. I thought about brewing uh, it, but I yeah. sleep later. I, I thought about brewing it, but then I really wanted to sleep tonight. Anyway, uh, yeah. Seth, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Hey, are you there? We are. That's what the, oh, man. Okay. the joy of editing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, good. I can fix this. I was no like, oh, so we'll do that again. So, <laughs> okay. Hey, Seth, why don't you, uh, before we get into the litany of questions, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So like you mentioned, I'm the roast master for uh, Water Street Coffee Joint in Kalamazoo. And I've been uh, roasting coffee with Water Street for about seven years now. So I do, like you mentioned, um, sourcing coffee, quality control, um, and essentially deciding how to roast or deciding how to prepare these coffees for um, our cafes. So I've been uh, with the company for 11 years, and it's actually the only, the first and only coffee company that I've worked with. So it's it's a relatively, um, uh, I would say it's my, my kind of like intro into coffee, but it's also been a very like uh, in-depth and I've had the ability to kind of grow and learn and expand along the way. So kind of uh, do anything coffee related for the business, the kind of the coffee side of things and also the the tea side as well. So Mm. we we, right now we Mm -hmm. have, um, we have the roasting facility, which is uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that Mm. about the building and whatnot, but we, uh, we do all of our production there. We have uh, five cafes currently in and around the the Kalamazoo and Portage area. And then we have uh, a kitchen as well that we kind of do all of our, our, 
food, uh, like locally sourced uh, ingredients and everything. So, yeah, and some uh, really awesome infused um, syrups for a lot of their drinks. Yeah, that's right, definitely. Including lavender, which it just mm. it didn't process with me for a long time, and then I tried it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, I get it. So, um, yeah, so you've been with Water Street for eleven years, the roast master for seven, and since it's your first time as in as a professional doing this job, I. I mean, I hesitate to say that there's like a next level because I, I mean, I've been to a lot of cities. I've drank a lot of coffee. John has traveled a lot over the country and had coffee. Tucker's been all over the world and had various coffee drinks. I, I, I'm trying to think, is there a bigger league than the, the complete control you have over, over a coffee drinker's experience here in the Kalamazoo area? Right. Yeah. And I, uh, I don't think there is, I don't think there is a, a bigger league, you know, there are, there are definitely more and more um, cafes popping, popping up in the area. I mean, I guess really mm -hmm. all across America and the world, there's, there's these sort of what we call third wave uh, coffee, either cafes or roasteries popping up, which are um, more of kind of like the, like high end, more like boutique, like nuanced coffees. Um, so I don't think, I mean, there, there really is a lot. There's a lot, you know, that I, that I kind of have in my hands in terms of determining what, what type of coffee we drink here in Kalamazoo, uh, specifically from Water Street, obviously. So it's, it's, um, it's challenging and there's definitely a lot of, a lot of responsibility to take on. Um, there are, there was actually just earlier this year in, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, in Kansas City, there's like a U.S. Coffee Championships. So there's like a like a Tinker's mm. Cup and a Brewer's Cup, and um, I'm not quite sure. I don't think roasting's involved with that, but there are definitely like roasting competitions that we could take place in, you know, participate in and whatnot. So, oh, that'd be cool. That would be yeah. cool. I'm just thinking yeah. what that would, would yeah. smell amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'd be interesting if they did it almost like an Iron Chef thing, because like when you you explained everything to us, you know you can take one bean and you've got what like a dozen different ways at least that you can take that flavor really and yeah. it's all really yeah. on just how you roast it exactly so each each i guess we can take it way back and talk about like what what coffee is and so I, it's it's funny i was actually just listening to the uh the podcast you guys just did with judy sarkozy and how she was talking <laughs> about how she was talking about flour and most people right. don't think about how flour is a crop and so it's gonna, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's gonna change, and that instantly reminded me of coffee. So coffee is the same exact way. There are certain, certain. It, it's a crop, so it's fresh for either one or two, you know, specific times during the year, depending on where mm -hmm. the coffee's grown and harvested. And so when you get near the end of the life cycle of that coffee, it is, it's going to, it's going to um, change flavor a lot. It's going to dry out. You know, the, the flavor might kind of be more um, leveled out. It might be more like mute like a muted flavor so but but um basically what we do like like coffee grows on a on a shrub or a, a tree a coffee tree um so like i was in costa rica we had the opportunity to visit visit the the origin of coffee and see how it's processed and how it gets to us so the coffee's grown and uh they're called coffee cherries they look like little little cranberries essentially and there's two coffee beans inside of each cherry mm. and so the goal mm. is to obviously get the beans out out of there so you have to remove the the skin of the cherry and the pulp and the mucilage and you kind of have to 
um, dry it out, bring it down to you know 10 to 12 percent moisture, and then it can be exported to us where where we will roast it. But I guess what I'm getting at is depending on like where the coffee is grown, so like what country, um, the elevation, soil conditions, rainfall, variety of coffee plant, these are all going to play into that potential that the coffee has in terms of flavor notes, uh, in terms of acidity and mouthfeel. So you're kind of you're kind of working with you're sourcing a coffee based on kind of what you you try and get. Um, like if I'm looking for a coffee from that has like a nice like thick body and some nice mm-hmm. earthy notes, you know, I might start to look for an Indonesian coffee. But but to get at what you're talking about in terms of roasting the coffee. You could mm. take any any coffee bean with those characteristics and roast it as many different ways as you wanted to, and it's going to taste. You know, it'll taste different. The body will have a different feel feeling in your mouth. The acidity level may be higher, maybe lower. So, it's mm. all in how what we want to bring out of the coffee bean, really. So, for a little context, like I was saying a couple weeks ago, John and I had the opportunity to go to the roaster with Seth down in Kalamazoo, and I definitely want to talk about the building. But I probably after everything there, I left with two uh, defined things in my brain. One, if you're gonna commit to this on your individual like home level, you better have your ducks in a row <laughs> to have a good experience. Mm. It's just as easy to go to a, a Water Street or another cafe and have someone who knows what the hell they're doing do it for you and just enjoy the coffee. But there is so much more like mad scientist stuff to this. Like we were talking about, you know, you're talking about acidity levels. We'll talk about the Q certification, but the water temperature, the water parts per million of, it was just, I mean, I'm a huge Elton Brown fan. And all I'm thinking about after we're talking with you, Seth, is like, I need to film you doing this. Yeah. <laughs> just for my own knowledge base. So. Yeah. And there is, there, there, there is a lot to take in. And, and, you know, you're talking about roasting, you're talking about brewing, um, we were just talking about like processing coffee at origin, like all of these different kind of steps along the way, like the journey of the coffee bean. There are so many different variables that will that are, that will and can change that will influence really how your coffee tastes mm-hmm. in the cup. So, so let's start with the building. I know we want to talk about a couple of things, but the building kind of, you know, John and I had never been there before. We found it through, you know, the directions mm-hmm. and whatnot. It mm-hmm. was absolutely in downtown Kalamazoo, kind yes. of a little on the north side. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would describe initially as a, John would say, nondescript old house looking yeah. building kind of thing. That's it. Yeah. But I mean, and even on the inside, aside from the barrels and barrels of coffee beans and the machinery, it's <laughs> also nondescript. So until you started telling us a little bit about the history, uh, I was kind of blown away. So can you give us a little background on the roaster building itself? Yeah, so it really it really has a rich history to it. Um, it was built in the 1880s, uh, just after Kalamazoo became a city. So it was, it's, it's been a variety of things. Uh, it was a machine shop at some point, uh, a couple different machine shops, I believe. But the two most notable uh, companies that inhabited that space were uh, the Verdon Cigar Factory uh, that made cigars with um, Havana, like with uh, tobacco from Havana. And they, um, they made cigars, I, kinda, I think that was in like the early 1900s. 
Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, it was inhabited by uh, Bauer's lighter manufacturer who made um, made lighters. And so they actually became uh, pretty well known. I think it was um, during World War II, the government bought 55% of its lighters for the troops during the war from Bauer's. And so I think during like peak production, they were producing somewhere around like 6 million lighters a year out of that building. And so you mm. can still you can still find them on eBay. So... And then, of course, ever since uh, roughly 2001, we've been roasting coffee in that building. So it has a really rich history of nice crafts. You know, you have cigars, lighters, and now mm-hmm. we're doing the coffee in there. So all three, you could probably partake in the same sitting. That's true. Yeah. 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 Yep. Wait a minute. Son of a gun. <laughs> I'm actually just looking at a Bowers lighter right now. That is an intricate piece of hardware right there how much yeah. is it going for yeah uh I, I i will find that out for sure on on ebay um they hang around the 10 to 20 dollar range vintage ones are 45 to 50 mm-hmm. but then they try and get you into what looks like a zip up what is a zippo letter which is not bowers although they're all listed as world war ii galmazoo mm-hmm. base right Burnt. wow there Which is, is cool. It's fascinating for me to think that they all came from that building that I were that we were right, in. You know, right. It's, it's crazy. It's kind of like the Gibson factory, right? No, yeah. or, or mm-hmm. checker or checker cab. There's a lot more history to Kalamazoo than people are probably aware of, or that may give it credit for. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, absolutely. So, Seth, how did you learn about the history of the building? It sounded like uh, the people who sold it, it's like here's the book of history. Right. <laughs> I mean, are you yeah. like finding stuff maybe there was it was like you bought (laughs) this building here's the book (laughs) um (laughs) a lot of it (laughs) so a decent amount of the information um is from the owner of the building who was the owner of of water street mark uh, mark smutek he kind of you know he has that information was given to him i don't know through whoever he purchased the building from or or maybe his own research but in in, uh, 2013 we actually had a neighborhood tour uh, kind of set up in, in, in the Stewart neighborhood. And they, mm-hmm. they actually went above and beyond and went out of their way to compile um, photographs of the building, photographs of the like cigars and the lighters and everything, but also a few pages worth of uh, like facts and information about the building, which is mm-hmm. really, really cool. So kind of like, like a community, uh, community, um, yeah like a history project yeah right? yeah right that is pretty cool that is cool yeah yeah so um i know one of the things we wanted to talk about was your origin trip um and so for the layperson, an origin trip is literally where you go to the origin or the source of your coffee beans and do a whole lot of funky scientific <laughs> awesomeness to it um is this a annual trip is it a multiple times a year tell, tell us a little bit about your trip to costa rica yeah so like you said an origin trip since coffee coffee is not grown in america except for we can talk about this later or at another time a little bit is grown in california and also there's a decent amount of kona grown in hawaii but other than that you have to travel to go to you know where where the coffee's grown mm-hmm. so um this is my third trip. So I just returned from Costa Rica this year. Um, last year, about this time, I went to Costa Rica. Uh, and then the year before that, uh, 2017, I visited uh, Chiapas, Mexico. So 
the Mexico trip in 2017 was my first origin trip. And I kind of caught the bug after that, <laughs> after, mm. after you go once, it's just, it's something you just it, gotta, you for me, you just have to. Mexico, not to... <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, funny story behind that one too. Anyway, about, about, about not catching a bug in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to 40. Yeah. Be sure to tip your waitress. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, really what we do, it's, it's a wonderful time because it's, it's a perfect opportunity. You get to visit, uh, we visited numerous coffee farms. We get to spend time with producers and, um, network with other people who are coming along with us on the trip. And one of the most exciting things for me about the trip is uh, the ability to taste coffees at origin. So, mm. so the trips that I've been on are facilitated by Cafe Imports, uh, who's based, they're based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, we purchase a lot of coffee from them. And so they, um, they periodically set up these origin trips and, you know, have people along with them. So they set up the travel, they set up um, meeting with the producers and, and, um, everything like that. And they actually just this year opened up, um, an office in Costa Rica. So they're on there, they're, they're in Costa Rica on the ground at the origin all year round. So since they have an office in Costa Rica, they have the ability to kind of, kind of dive in and get like a micro level of like what's going on with this year's harvest. You know, what's the weather conditions been like? How, how are the crops turning out this year? And they have more of an interaction directly with the producers. And so we had the opportunity to do a cupping uh, at their lab of coffees that producers have been bringing to them, essentially. And so we can cup out these coffees and evaluate them. And if there's a coffee that I am really excited about or really think would work well with our menu or that I want to share with the people of Kalamazoo, I can essentially call dibs on that coffee before it's you know available to anybody else and so that's one of the more unique opportunities is being able to to cup the coffee at origin and decide to bring it in to Kalamazoo if we would like to hmm. so so when you, when you talk about origin I can understand that it's where the coffee is coming from and I'm going to link that a bit to Jay who's talking about Alton Brown do you also go back just into the history of coffee? I, I would imagine you've probably got a lot of background knowledge about how we even how people even figured out they could turn this into a beverage. Right. Yeah. So the probably the most common story or the, the most like widely accepted version of how coffee came to be was it's the story of Kaldi, uh, an Ethiopian goat herder. So coffee originated in Ethiopia. Okay. And it was, it was said to be discovered by um, a goat herder who was uh, one day, you know, tending to his goats. And he noticed his, note, or his goats nibbling on this fruit that he had never seen before. And after they were kind of munching on the fruit, they started, he said, Kaldi said that his goats started dancing around. And so he got curious and, and tried some of the, the fruit himself. And so that's essentially how it was discovered this um because not only is like the coffee bean itself caffeinated but also the plant like the leaves and the fruit okay. there's all like oh sure there's caffeine in the yeah. whole, naturally occurring in the whole plant so um it's still to this it still boggles me how how somebody or maybe like over the course of hundreds of years we decided to take the the seed 
of this cherry, the seed of this plant, you know, dry it, roast it, grind it, and then infuse it with hot water. I think it took a while before coffee as we know it today became, you know, that like that. Um, sure. Sure. I think it was initially like initially they could take the the cherries or like the leaves and like mash them up and mix mm. them with animal fat to make like a energy bar sort of thing. Mm. Or you could possibly take the leaves of the coffee plant and steep them in hot water and have some sort of like a coffee tea kind of thing. Mm. But mm. but yeah. that's essentially the the about how it was discovered in Ethiopia. Yeah. So can the origin be traced all the way from Ethiopia and that's that's where the plant just spread from there it was picked up and taken elsewhere so when you talk about um, Costa Rica or um, Indonesia that it wasn't native but they you can grow it in those climates it just kind of spread through trade or something exactly you nailed okay. it so it was discovered in Ethiopia as far as far as I know it's only native to Ethiopia and so like you said, it's kind of spread throughout the world in uh, various different ways, like through trade or maybe being smuggled into a country. Okay. Um, there's a book, there's a, a fairly big book called Uncommon Grounds, which actually um, details the spread of coffee and, you know, it mm. kind of details like how it got to each country specifically. Yeah. So very, very, very interesting stories, but you're right. And, and, and there's only a certain uh, like area in the world where the coffee plant thrives. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's definitely limitations on where it can grow. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I never wouldn't have guessed that, but so yeah. are those, so is the coffee we drink today, all potentially derivatives of that original plant or that original, I mean, cause you come up with varieties that I assume if they're not native to anywhere else, have they been crossbred? Now I'm wondering if they've been like crossbred or, or are they all based on that Ethiopian plant? You said that much better than I did. <laughs> right. Well, I think that, yeah, yeah they all red coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're all from Ethiopia. So there are different, there's like natural, like genetic mutation that can occur over time. Mm -hmm. There's, um, there's hybrids where like there can be human inter intervention. You can splice <clears throat> them together and get them to, um, get them to kind of like, like cultivate them that way. They're, they're like, mm -hmm. there are different ways, but yes, they all, all came from, as far as I know, yeah, they all came from Ethiopia. Now there's still in Ethiopia, there's over like 40,000 different varietals, like varieties of coffee there. And worldwide, we only cultivate, we cultivate such a small percentage of that because most of them are like, they're considered wild or still indigenous. So we've kind of selected the varieties that perform best in terms of quality, in terms of um, resistance to diseases and pests in terms of yield. Hmm. And so there are, there's actually quite a lot of research and study going on in Ethiopia right now to document all the other varietals. But right now, I think I read a statistic somewhere that like we only cultivate 0.03% of the genetic diversity of coffee. Wow. Oh, there's, wow. Still, there's still a lot of potential in terms of discovering new and exciting flavor profiles and probably the most Probably the greatest example of that is geisha. Have have you guys heard of geisha coffee before? No, oh. no. So so geisha is a varietal or variety of coffee that was discovered near a, the town of geisha in Ethiopia. That's kind of how it got its name. They kind of just named it from where it was found. And this coffee um, 
didn't really perform that well in Ethiopia. So someone had the idea to take it from Ethiopia and I might be mistaken, but I think it ended up in Panama first. Um, and so mm -hmm. took it from Ethiopia to Panama and now people, Geisha coffee has just exploded over the past maybe six to seven years in terms of the, like the, the quality of coffee, like the, just the, the aromatics and the, the, nuance that that coffee has it has caused um in some cases the coffee to be sold for like well over you know well over a hundred dollars a pound wow. yeah i'm i'm reading something here that says you can spend up to about 20 bucks just for a cup of it exactly mm. yep and so part of that is the uniqueness of the coffee like i've i've had a few geishas before and they're um they're just, they really are unlike any other, but like you said, they have to be brewed. It has to be brewed properly. It has to be roasted properly and everything. But if you get a geisha that has been roasted properly and it's brewed properly, just the aromatics, there's like lot, lots of notes of like, like, like delicate florals, um, maybe some peach notes or some bergamot. Um, wow. The body can be just really smooth and silky. Um, just like really nice, crisp acidity. It's really a, it's a, it's a profile like no other, but you, you pay for that um, because mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, these coffees end up at an auction and it goes to the highest bidder. So it's whoever okay, is sure. willing, whoever's willing to pay the most for that coffee. So in recent years, Geisha has broken the price per pound of coffee by, by, you know, any, right. Any, hmm. By anything really. So it's probably safe to say you wouldn't uh, put that in your Keurig. <laughs> it's safe. To, it's a safe bet. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> So Although it wouldn't surprise me if someone had, you know, started started to find the market for that. That's probably yeah. true. Yeah, <laughs> high, high end curing it just those two words. Just, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned you had the opportunity to cup coffee at the origin. Uh, that's going to need some explanation for the layperson. Yes, so, cupping. I just watched Deadpool. We're talking about different cupping, so I'm gonna let you cup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm we like... are indeed talking about a different cupping. <laughs> Thank God. Yes. Uh, simple way to think about it is cupping is essentially a wine tasting, but for coffee. Mm -hmm. We are if we are objectively um, evaluating and analyzing the coffee. Um, typically, like uh, in my case. Uh, a lot of cuppings are done for purchasing decisions. Like we, we will get a sample and try this coffee out before we buy it. So when we do a cupping, we are setting up a coffee tasting in accordance to the specialty coffee association standards. So mm -hmm. we're using like you, you were using, um, we're using the right roast level. We're using uh, the right water with the right, temperature and parts per million, the right ratio of coffee to water. We're getting all our variables locked down. And so we're able to evaluate this coffee for, um, you know, fragrance, aroma, flavor, aftertaste, acidity, body balance. And we're also looking for defects or mm. um, bad things essentially that can um, happen in coffee. And so what happens with this is you're, you're not only, um, you're not only evaluating the coffee and maybe coming up with descriptors like, Hey, what does this taste like? Is it chocolatey or caramel or vanilla? Um, but you're also giving that coffee a, a numerical score, uh, between, well, between zero and a hundred, but really, um, anything like the low and 80 is not, not specialty coffee. 
Mm -hmm. So, so we're, we're using this to, to, yeah, evaluate the coffee and decide if it's, you know, something we want to purchase. If it's a quality control issue, we can take a look at it consistency, that sort of thing. So, so when you're doing the cupping, is it a single variety that you're trying or will the, are you sampling multiple products from different beans? Yeah. So it, it really depends if we, so right now on our menu, we have somewhere around 20, 22 different coffees and we could be cupping. Um, we, we have a lot of coffees that we keep on the menu all year round. Mm -hmm. We could be cupping those for quality control. Or if it's, uh, let's say, let's take for example, we have a coffee from Ethiopia. It's an Ethiopia natural processed coffee. If we're coming up on a new crop of that coffee, what I'll do is I'll cup out our current crop and then I'll kind mm -hmm. of shop around for oh. the, the current crop. And then I'll be able to kind of pick and choose based on the quality and the price of that coffee, like what's the best fit for us in okay. terms of selecting our next crop. So hmm. it's something we do, we do at least weekly. We do at least something every week to kind of keep our palates, um, keep our palates dialed in and uh, yeah. make sure we're staying mm -hmm. on top of quality control and sourcing and seeing what else is out there. So, And you get multiple opinions or multiple people, multiple people tasting to, uh, sort of, I guess, provide the decent amount of balance for, so somebody doesn't go way high on a score and somebody goes way low. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And there's also, you can also, um, if there's multiple people cupping, if there's multiple people like joining you for a cupping, mm -hmm. you can do what's called a, like a calibration cupping where you kind of all okay. calibrate and kind of get on the same page so that we're all you know, talking about hmm. the same thing. What? Hmm. What I struggle with, and I'm sure this has a lot to do with your uh, Q certification, which we can talk about, is when you, um, so John, you had coffee brewed for John and I when we showed up, and it I easily, if not the greatest cup of coffee I've ever had, is a top three. It just mm. was, the flavor was there, temperature there, it, it was all, it was so good. Still yeah. didn't try the bourbon stuff, the bourbon stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then Josh pulled the same thing out with the Hario and took it to another level. Yeah, I don't. Seth was showing us how to measure and temperature and get, anyway. Um, Seth, when you were describing flavor profiles like chocolate notes and vanilla and caramel and, and the different floral notes, um, our my palate, I think of what I think vanilla tastes like and what mm -hmm. caramel tastes like and what mm -hmm. chocolate tastes like, and those are so nuanced in coffee. Same with like we've had cigars in the past, and you're like. You know, I taste a leather note, or here's a cocoa note. I mean, how are you finding your being able to override what your palate has been trained to do in regular consumption of foods for these, what I'm going to now call fake flavors of vanilla and chocolate and caramel, mm -hmm. and find what is defined as those flavors within the coffees during your cuppings? Mm. Um, first thing that comes to mind is practice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Try trying, mm -hmm. you know, I've tried hundreds, probably thousands of different coffees from all over the world throughout, through the course of years. So practice, um, there also another big one, at least for me was confidence. Like a lot of time I would think that I identified some sort of flavor note. Like you said, it's not going to taste like you're eating a chocolate mm -hmm. bar or it's not going right. to taste like you have vanilla extract in your mouth. Like you might get hints of that or something that points you in that direction. Mm -hmm. So I think practice is very helpful. Another thing that 
that I found very helpful was becoming like being mindful when you eat, you know, like paying attention to texture and like different sensations that different foods can create for you. And so there's actually a kit that, um, that is, it's called Lene du Cafe, which is the nose of coffee. And it's a set of 36 different, um, aromas that can occur in coffee. So you have hmm. earthy or grassy or, um, hay or straw or, you know, things like that. And what you do is you take the, you take the vial and you smell it. And it is actually, it is very difficult. It is a lot more difficult than it sounds to kind of nail down what it is you're smelling, but through like repetition and practice mm -hmm. and kind of mm -hmm. smell, okay, that's what this is. Okay. Smell this. All right. That's what that smells like, you know, kind of really like tuning and dialing in your senses it has helped me out a lot too. Hmm. Does the term umami play well into coffee or is it, I mean, I'm trying to decide, John, you drink more coffee than anybody here aside from probably Seth. Um, right. <laughs> would you describe coffee as savory? Yeah, sure. I mean, cause my mind goes, there's, you know, there's sweet and there's savory and then there's something I would call like comforting and all those mm -hmm. sorts of things that probably play mm -hmm. into that umami taste. And the only time I've, I've had that is, well, a couple times. One, and I'm not kidding. I'm not just fluffing you here, Seth. The stuff was, <laughs> the coffee was that good that you, just because I think the conditions were all perfect, right? Right. I was tasting the truest form of what you intended people to taste. And I, I think I had it at one other time at a bed and breakfast up in like the Traverse City area where there was just a cup of coffee. We were like, my God, is this just mm -hmm. a great cup of coffee? And then you probably also have it at a, one random truck stop in Ohio or something like that. Right. Like, this is just a really, I'm trying to figure out what all three of those things may have in common. Well, we way. know that the bed and breakfast up in Traverse City used cinnamon because we asked. And I'm not talking about that place. No, because no. I did. Um, I asked and, and Patrick told me no problem. You're talking about country he hermitage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was talking about the the gray hair in. It was just something about the coffee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> both places uh, exceptional, but the right. country hermitage is beautiful, wonderful place. Now let me let me ask you this. Yeah, you're trying. You're looking. You're possibly looking at what you said between those three locations. Mm -hmm. What isn't what's in common? Something that I notice is maybe what's in common. What am I trying to say here? I think expectation and setting and personal um, like where you are at has a lot to do with it too. You know, if I'm, you know, if I'm traveling in Costa Rica and I, I kind of have some expectations or, you know, something set in my head, like, oh man, my, my coffee down there is just going to taste so great. Or, you know, you're just having like a great experience or a great time. It might color it might color that too. You know what I mean? I guess just taking that into account mm -hmm. too. Yeah, that that had happened to me one time where it was it was the end of a really good trip and getting ready to leave that morning and in oddly enough another bed and breakfast and they uh they set out coffee and it was it was a uh a large container that um usually you would empty out and fill up with change to save for stuff like wow yeah. that's really good coffee but yeah no it was and, the circumstances so 
Right, and it's not to say that the coffee was uh, definitely not good in itself. No, no, not even a little bit. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> just curious, you know, just thought well, about no, that, too. that. That's a good point. I mean, when we were up north, even if you're talking about, if we go up there and we are a relaxed environment, uh, when we came to the roaster, we were excited and didn't mm-hmm. really know what to expect. You know, your truck stop place, you're just kind of like, it's a necessity piece. So maybe you're processing that you need that coffee at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking also of like destination coffees. Like I've traveled to New Orleans many times for work and there's that, um, uh, the Cafe Dumont has the mm-hmm. is it chicory coffee, mm-hmm. which is okay, but I, I, you had to try it to, to say you tried it. Right. Mm-hmm. So knowing all that sort of stuff, when you went and got, so you have what's called uh, a Q grade, mm-hmm. uh, certified Q, uh, it's a quality, it's a coffee, like an assurance coffee, almost like an ultimate QA thing. And I think you mentioned, and, and I'm going to get this wrong, so correct me, there yes. are 5,000 people in the world, maybe, have this certification that you have? Yeah, I think last time I checked, it was around 5,000 people who have this certification. So I am certified for Arabica coffee. Now, this is a whole other thing we could talk about, Arabica versus Robusta mm-hmm. coffee. Mm. But we're tonight, we've, all, we've just been talking Arabica. That's all we do at Water Street. Um, but you're right. So it was a very – it's essentially like – it's like a bar exam, but for coffee, you know what I mean? Or like if you're becoming mm-hmm. like, like a wine, like a, like a, a sommelier or something mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, so it's a very, at the end of the course that it was a six day long course, there's 19 exams that are all sensory based in terms of Jeez. tasting and smelling and identifying. And you have to pass all 19 exams, uh, with flying colors and, uh, at the end of those six days, if you pass all of those exams, you get your Q grade certificate, which essentially means that your, your palate is certified and calibrated to, to uh, standard, to the, the coffee industry standard. Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, I could now have the ability to take in a producer's coffee and give it a score, you know, and say, this is, the, this is the, essentially the, the grade or like the score of your coffee or you know, it's just it's more of a, a credential does water street insure right. your palate now <laughs> yeah I don't exactly. know. I, not yet not a bad thing to think about though huh they're, they're like <laughs> stop eating that really hot chili Seth. yeah they, they don't want you <laughs> eating those peppers and and yeah. uh entering competitions you're like right this weekend is going to be all about cigars and habanero peppers let's wreck this <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know with that though um is there um kind of a thing that like that q grade is good for a couple years and then at which point you've got to get like re-upped or retested yeah you do you it's good for i believe it's three years and then you have to go back and and do and do your it's not a full-on you don't do the whole thing all over again right but more of a primer right yeah yeah but still that's not a real big window three years right yeah and so, yeah, I, I passed it. Uh, it was the most like professionally challenging thing I have done by far. And so we're talking about like identifying different types of acids, you know, acetic acid, mm-hmm. acid lactic acid, citric acid, and in what intensity is that? And probably the one, the one that I, one of the challenges that I described to people that was one of the more difficult ones for me was, it was like a sweet, sour, salty challenge. And so mm-hmm. you're, you're, we're talking about those three senses, sweet, sour, 
salty. And then we're talking about different intensities. So low, moderate, and high. And so the first, the first test was you had nine cups of water in front of you that had these different um, sweet, sour, salty um, components to them and in different intensities. So this was the easy part where you had to, you know, taste one and be like, oh, that's sour. That's a sour two. Okay. This is sweet one. You know, you had to pick them all out and identify them all correctly. Mm. The second part, which was really challenging for me was now you have nine cups, but they can have any of the three mixed together in any of the intensities and you have to identify them. So you could have a, oh man, taste it and okay, this is a salty one, sweet one, sour two. This is wow. a three sour, three salt one, whatever, you know? So it really, at the end of the six days, your palate is completely fatigued and you're just, you're just, you're done with it. You know what I mean? But it was, it was right. definitely one of the most rewarding things too. Once you, once you come out with it. So. I'm kind of wondering, like, after you get back from an origin trip, you're like, I just want to eat white bread for three days. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, <clears throat> yeah. We actually exactly. talked about this. Um, one of the things, like when we do wine tastings, um they always have one of two things there they either have like real bland oyster crackers for you to like cleanse your palate or they have coffee beans yeah <laughs> so the question was and i forgot what the answer was what is a coffee q certified cupping what do you do to cleanse palate between coffees you're like we we drink beer i don't know Cigars what it is. And peppers. <laughs> right. you're like, I, yeah, right. sour patch kids i don't know what yeah. it is that's gonna cleanse there your you palate go. between the two because i would I would assume that a lot of those flavors are going to blend. I mean, you you have mm -hmm. the discerning palate where you can break stuff apart, but what do you do when you need to do a cleanse? Orange sherbet. Orange sherbet. <laughs> no, orange sherbet. Isn't it the universal? Yeah. <laughs> well, know. a lot of in a lot of settings, I'm able to just um, just kind of do nothing. But it, it like it can depend if there's a large cupping and there's a lot of coffees quite often what I'll do is um, just have some little like, uh, like, uh, what are they like water crackers, just like plain mm -hmm. crackers, and they'll like soak up, kind of soak up the oils from your palate. Water works great too. But you're right. I, uh, I always get confused when I go into a department store and you go into like the cologne section. Oh, and they've yeah. got like the, the coffee to like, to, to cleanse your palate. And then like I'm, I'm going, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what kind of coffee is this? When was it roasted? What's you know what nice. I mean? Because to me, it's not just coffee. It's Why like, does all this coffee smell like Dracar? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole lot of joop. <laughs> <laughs> this whole cologne section smells like old man. It's <laughs> just old man. <laughs> this is an Old Spice 3, sweet tooth, sour yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> what we did at the Q grade, too, was a lot of people, like, if we're doing, like, a lot of uh, smelling with our nose, not necessarily our tongue, they would put their... Um, elbow up against their nose and just smell your skin, hoping. Well, if you if you bathed and were relatively clean, right, that would right. be kind of like a neutral, like a neutral uh, scent, mm -hmm. I guess, to take in. So hmm. to kind of clear clear for the next one. So the other thing uh, that really kind of blew my mind was one was learning, like John was saying earlier, you could take a single uh, cherry, pull those pull the beans out, and roast it to nth degrees right? A little more time here, a little bit of heat there. But the other thing that kind of blew my mind was we started, you started to take us a little bit through, I mean, this was at the end, so we didn't get really deep into it yet, uh, was tea leaves. Mm -hmm. That most to all tea 
comes from the same leaf, the same plant, and it's just gradients of age and what you infuse it with and what you mix it with. That's kind of, I don't know, I, I felt shook from that part because. Yeah. Well, it's kind of groundbreaking when you learn that, when you realize that, you know, black tea and green tea, it's the same, it's the same plant, Camellia sinensis, which is the tea, the, the tea plant. The leaves are just plucked. And depending, probably the biggest factor is oxidation. Like the, you know, black teas are green teas that have been oxidized longer, you know? So after mm -hmm. the leaves have been plucked, you can let them oxidize, um, like not at all. You can like apply heat to them to stop oxidation and have a green tea. You can do a moderate oxidation and have like an oolong, or you can let them oxidize until they're, until it becomes a black tea. So, and there's also, you know, there's different methods. There's different kind of each country uh, has their own way of, of kind of like with coffee, they have their own way of processing the tea and, and oxidizing and, and applying heat to stop the oxidation. So, um, the, the other question I have, so John, as far as I know, drinks straight coffee, right? That's, that's called black. Well, I mean, what, 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 <laughs> black I, what I meant to say was like, I, uh, throughout a day may have a couple cups of coffee and then go to tea and then come back to coffee. And then I assume it's not like mixing liquor and beer. Um, is there a protocol to get, to get uh, the best drinking experience between staying just with coffee or staying just with tea or switching it up or like I would never drink said coffee and then follow it up with like a mint tea and then drinks. I mean, mm. I kind of was curious about that because I wouldn't want to now truth be told, I'm not always able to drink high quality coffee, like a water street all the time, uh, much less craft it and, and brew it in the way that I now have learned it could and or should be done. He's um, saying he's lazy. <laughs> it's a time factor. It's always a time factor. It's you time, work from yeah. home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I don't have my own personal um, You work from home. You could do this. You can do easily. it, Jason. I know you See, can. exactly. Look at that. Seth believes in you. Well. <laughs> we so don't, but Seth question, does. My question, my question still stands. I mean, I don't know. That's a great question. I think it's just personal preference. I don't think there is a protocol. I don't think there is a, you shouldn't do this. You should do that. For okay. me, I have to, I have to stop drinking by noon. I drink black coffee as well. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. But I usually have to stop it by noon. And um, I will sometimes do an herbal tea with no caffeine in the evening or if I'm going for a walk or something. Mm. Um, but I don't, I guess I don't typically... I don't drink them close enough together to think of pairing them. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. Now, if you're talking like a food pairing, that could be something fun to get into, like pairing a certain coffee with a certain food. Mm -hmm. That so, actually be fun. I, be still, I still want to, <clears throat> when you start talking about the, the cupping and the Q grading uh, and whether or not a, a commoner <laughs> do such a you, thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so the idea came up of, uh, maybe getting together and having a a a taste testing of this of this different styles. Like I did not know Water Street had that many varieties mm. available at all times. You know. Yeah. Well, we try and represent. We try and represent the all the different types of coffees that are out there. So if you're talking the way that I break it down is you have like South and Central America that mm -hmm. uh, 
we're going to speak very gen generally here. We're not going to be talking about specifics, but generally South and Central American coffees tend to be very mild, very mellow, very palatable, what you would consider a comfort coffee. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some uh, nice floral notes, um, caramel or nuttiness is very common for those regions. So they're just very easy, easy drinking coffees. Um, another coffee region that I talk about is Africa. So African coffees tend to be a little bit more, um, especially like Ethiopia and Kenya can be much higher in acidity. So they can be very, very bright and kind of exciting and lively on your palate. They can have more intense fruit notes, intense floral notes, um, and sort of more of a medium type body. And then Indonesian coffees tend to be, uh, very, uh, very heavy and full bodied lower, very, very low acidity, and then more like earthy, <clears throat> chocolatey um, kind of notes like that. So we try and offer a couple coffees from each of the growing regions mm -hmm. all year round. And then we also do what we call our fresh crop coffees, which are more um, like the, like the origin trip, you know, they're more like, they're more direct relationship with the producer or they're from a specific farm or per perhaps even a specific lot on a specific farm, or maybe there's a fun and interesting processing method we're, we're showcasing. So we tend to, like I said, we tend to highlight all the regions all the time, but also here and there like to throw in some exciting, more, more exciting uh, selections too. So I know it's a lot based on personal preference and palate. Like I finally switched to just black coffee, I don't know, four or five years ago, mm -hmm. based on an appreciation to really actually figuring out that there's a taste to it that doesn't have to be masked with a cream. I never was a sugar person, but cream was yeah. still, it's occasionally. Strong. I can understand cream. Some, I don't know, sugar. I tried it again just recently, like in the last couple of weeks, I'm like, no, no. I mean, no. The, the rare time I'll put sugar in, it's like you sprinkle it very judiciously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I did not do that. Because, it yeah. Cause it, yeah, it can get sweet real quick. Yeah. Like you want to shave your tongue. Like you're, mm -hmm. what did I do? Um, well, coffee is naturally sweet. There's well, sweetness. So you know that's what I, mean? what I come to realize when you're talking about those lighter uh, South American style coffees where it's definitely not as dark. It's it's more caramel in color when it's brewed. Yeah. I uh, If someone were to come to you, Seth, and say, I'm a, I enjoy coffee, but I'm looking for what I would describe as the smoothest drinking coffee that you can imagine. Not a lot of acidity, not not a lot of variance in flavor but something that's just going to be perfectly balanced at all times it's all smooth there's enough of uh forgiveness in people's brewing styles or, or grind times or where, mm. where are you going to send them to be darn middle of the road to get a good water street experience that they then can branch off of in different directions where do you what direction do you usually send people yeah there's a that's a good question there's a couple different directions i would go if you part of it might might depend on your budget too like how much are you willing to spend on a coffee so let's say i'm ready to to get into this if you're ready to get into it i would i would i would recommend a costa rican coffee not just mm. because i've not just because i've been there but also because like particularly a lot of the coffees that they produce are very, very smooth. The bodies can be almost creamy, you know, yeah. like mm -hmm. thick and creamy or maybe velvety. And so good term. Um, yeah. So they can just be super smooth coffees and 
the flavor, like I said, the flavor is very mild and nutty and you can kind of branch off of that. You know what I mean? If you, mm-hmm. if you find a nice, solid, smooth, creamy, easy drink in Costa Rican and you are looking for perhaps, you know, oh, I love this coffee, but I want something a little more, I want a little more fruit notes or a little more floral notes. Like we can kind of branch off of there, but I don't think, I don't think you could go wrong with a Costa Rican or honestly. So no, noted. Mm-hmm. Duly noted. Seth, what's your um, what's your background professionally? I just how did you get Badass. into? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's straight up, you guys. Uh, how would how do you get into this? Or was this you walked into uh, Water Street one day and looking for a job, and they said we're we want you to go to Cuba. You have a beard. Go to Costa Rica. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so professional background. I've done a lot of. I've done a lot of like side jobs here and there, you know, factory work, Mm -hmm. lawn care, that sort of thing. But my two primary jobs were, uh, well, my first job, I started when I was 15. So from 15 to 20, I worked at an airport in the the city where I'm from of Allegan. Oh, okay. Um, And I worked there for, for five years and I actually earned my pilot's license there. So I was flying Mm. air, flying airplanes. I had my pilot's license while I was still in high school. Okay. So, yeah. And so eventually, um, started going to Kalamazoo Valley here in Kalamazoo and I didn't want to commute back and forth. Mm-hmm. Not a huge, not a huge commute anyway, but I was like, well, yeah. let's, let's see what's over here. So I, I, um, I had been to the water street cafe downtown and would go there to study or do homework, you know, just kind of hang out. And I did notice that they were hiring and it said that they were hiring for a delivery driver. And in my mind, I was thinking, Oh man, I could deliver cups of coffee to people. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I could sure. be a delivery driver. Mm-hmm. So I ended up applying for the job and I got hired. It was for a delivery driver for the kitchen and the kitchen at this, at this point, this was nearly 11 years ago. The kitchen was behind the current uh, downtown water street cafe in the mm-hmm. house back there. And so I, what I would do was I would, I did the morning baking. So I'd come in and bake the, we do the muffins and scones and cookies and, and things every day, every morning fresh. And I would deliver those to the cafes. And then I would do a little bit of dish work um, and a little bit of food prep. And so I did that for a year, a year and a half. And then the delivery driver position for the roaster, which was delivering coffee, like bags of coffee to our Mm -hmm. wholesale accounts, that position was offered to me. I took it and I just kind of, kind of went, you know, it kind of just organically grew along the way. It's not anything I sought after. It just kind of, you know, it just kind of happened. And I was, I, I was taught how to roast by the previous roast master. And so it was kind of handed down, you know, from, from roast master to roast master. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's how it, that's how it happened. No, I love a story like <laughs> just that. Sitting there on the shipping dock. He's like, this cup of coffee sucks. And the guy's like, you think you could do better? <laughs> right. <laughs> better effect, and you're like, Yes, I can. I hold my beer. Uh, <laughs> right. Coffee. <laughs> but I was the same way, man. When I started working there, I knew nothing about coffee. When I worked at the airport, mm-hmm. I had I would I would take the there was a, a coffee brewer there that was sitting on a hot plate for who knows how long. Sure. I would fill the cup, I would fill my styrofoam cup up halfway and then add the rest of the half would be powdered creamer and you know four to six packets of sugar and i was like yeah i love coffee right (laughs) and even even so even beginning to work at water street i still knew nothing about coffee so i've completely 
Would you say you knew beans about coffee? Sir? I knew beans oh. about coffee. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I mean, not just tonight. <laughs> That's it. <Ooh. laughs> oh, my goodness. That's the crux of that conversation. I'm going right to uh, put my nose in my elbow here. I am wearing very tall boots, so we're going right. to go ahead. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, uh, Seth, we like that. That's an hour, man. So uh, there's so much more I want to ask. Yeah, really, we definitely yeah. have to do yeah, a part, part two. two. Yeah, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. Honestly, I feel we like have. We yeah. have. We may have to do this in an environment. So I, I joked with uh, Seth, and we're gonna give Aaron his shout out. Aaron is the uh, marketing director here mm-hmm. at Water Street. Uh, we we joked. I said we've had uh, Chris O'Neill from One Well. Mm-hmm. We have now mm-hmm. had Seth Chapman, postmaster at Water Street. We're going to seek out the head baker at uh, Sweetwater Donuts and create the trifecta of the greatest beer ever created. But uh, until that time, um, Seth, we gotta we got to hang out again soon. Definitely. Uh, talk about a little bit more. And then I really think it would be advantageous for us to do it not at night so we could all enjoy a cup of coffee and maybe mm-hmm. try and uh, – have you quiz us on our on our uh, tasting knowledge? You know, not Q grades. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I would love that. I can I can see it already. Getting together, doing a little, having a cup of coffee. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna start working on some quiz questions though. I know we should. Uh oh. We, we, we could call it coffee talk, but I think that's probably <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably already set up. And, oh man, uh, this is an opportunity for us to work on our live show. I'm telling right? you. Yeah, I was gonna say, give us a like a, a two week heads up, and I'll make it happen. I'll I'll cruise on out to you guys. I think it'd oh, be fun. there we go. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. So yeah, because I'm only it's only in the past probably since kids came and since kid came along have I been right. coffee and yeah. Well, and we this could is get something... Tucker out of that murder basement. Out of the murder basement. <laughs> yeah, That's a... spoiler alert for an upcoming episode. Tucker <laughs> records his part of the podcast from his murder basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that term has now been coined by an upcoming guest, uh, John Darling, MMA. Yep. Yeah. And I'm That's... not going to go and tell him not to call it the murder basement. <laughs> right. Dude, dude would wreck you. It would be over. I would be murdered. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is you said as soon as you had kids, one of the things we did talk about when we were visiting the, the roaster was uh, drinking coffee for purpose versus drinking coffee for enjoyment. And actually, yeah. I really mm-hmm. dive into that because I thought it was always for enjoyment, but now I'm realizing it's for purpose based on quantity. And I know John's is intravenously taken. The guy drinks, I can't drink the amount of coffee John drinks and not like want to. No. It, it was, people. yeah, and it was, I think, purpose first, and now I really, I enjoy it um, mm-hmm. more, more. Yeah. When, when Jason, when you came and John came to the roaster, yeah. I, brewed up, I brewed up a pot of coffee, which was 1.9 liters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I had a little bit, and <laughs> that pot of coffee was empty by the time you guys left. Yep. Jump it away. The problem was, it was I probably so put most of it away. Damn, tasty. It was just so mm-hmm. good. In, uh, well, thing too, I knew we were going, so I didn't have my morning coffee oh, there you beforehand. Go. So I also had skipped my morning coffee. So. There we go. In in hopeful anticipation that there's <laughs> a chance that there may be some coffee at the coffee <laughs> roasting facility. Right. Go figure. Thank God we were right, and thank God for Seth's hospitality. So oh, that worked man. out well. So, yeah. well, uh, we're gonna call this part one and and put it on the book. So my thanks to John, my thanks to, mm-hmm. to Tucker and to Seth. 
absolutely thank you for joining us on the on the podcast. We'll get into this a little bit more. Um, if people are, don't live in Kalamazoo and they're interested in uh, finding out where they can sample some of your wares, where do you send people to experience Water Street Coffee? Yeah, so we have uh, we have our five cafes downtown Water Street, uh, three fifteen East Water Street. We have a location on Oakland Drive. We have one inside the Borges Hospital. Mm. We are out in Portage um, near uh, uh, Shaver yeah. uh, Center. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And then uh, and then if you go all the way like all the way down Westnage too, like uh, Shaver, there's our other location too. Oh, and, down by like Barrett's Smokehouse plug um at the end there <laughs> shameless i don't know the only one i've only been to the two water streets the one right here by the house on oakland it's just super mm-hmm. convenient and they just redid it uh and then the og one downtown on water street so mm-hmm. and and we do um we have our coffee in uh dnw mm-hmm. hardings so those are you know a lot mm-hmm. of the local grocery stores we're in as well okay and and there's a numerous i couldn't even start to name off how many you know different restaurants and banks and uh right that we're in as well so. can you can you purchase online for those of us that aren't local you can yes okay. if you go to uh waterstreetcoffee.com okay all so. of our all of our coffees are on there all of our coffees all of our teas and we also have like apparel and brewing equipment sweet whatnot, okay. so. coffee and a t-shirt and highball glasses lately i've seen a lot of oh, the yeah. we didn't yeah. even venture into the uh the spirits and the adult beverage side of Water Street that became a new thing within the last year or so. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. At our uh, at our Q rating for booze now too. Right. Well, if you're gonna come over, Tucker, we start yeah. we start with coffee. We go over to Sarkozy's. There's a there's a little mm. we call it a podcast tour de force. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's been too many years since I lived there, so a lot of these places sound vaguely familiar, but. They're all within spitting distance of each yeah. other. Oh, yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. Especially the Sar- yeah, the Sarkozy's and, uh, and Water Street. Bells is right mm-hmm. across the street. Bells is there. Yep. Food, yep. food dance is right food there. Um, it could be an expensive problem real okay. quick. Oh, darn. We could, we could also set up some sort of uh, like a coffee hop, like a cafe hop. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. That yeah. I've never thought of. That would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I would be pretty, pretty jazzed up by the end of the day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that would be well worth it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of 40ish. Uh, guys, if I don't talk to you before, I'll catch you in the next one. Thanks, man. Thank you.